Now tonight we uh, also, our main event here is Lamar Smith. I'd like to introduce him briefly. Then there are a couple things are going to happen here. Lamar is then going to share some uh, of his thoughts with you about experience as a CEO and as a business person. Uh, but then also he's going to allow you an opportunity to ask some questions. So we have some lights on the side and uh, we're going to allow time for, mass, uh, for you to ask some questions and interact with the crowd. And then for those of you who find the topic interesting, which I believe you will, he also has some books over here on the back uh, table, or I guess the side table. And also a little bookmark, which I'm, I'm not sure that many of you got on the way in, but uh, really this bookmark, it, it doesn't look like a bookmark right away, but it's, uh, it talks a little bit about some of the principles that are in his book. There's more to life than the corner office. And if you fold it just right, it works out as a, a nice bookmark to remind you of some of the points that he's going to make tonight and remind you to put those into practice. Lamar Smith is a seasoned business professional, active in corporate and nonprofit board service, who is now an active author and speaker. Lamar spent most of his business career with First Command Financial Services, a retail financial planning firm with over 300,000 client families. There he rose through the ranks and served as CEO for 15 years. Today, Lamar is a member of the board of Torchmark Inc., a leading provider of retail insurance products, serves on the boards of Search Ministries, Christian Prayer Breakfast of Fort Worth, and chairs the board of Hope Farm Incorporated, a nonprofit for at risk inner city boys. Lamar was an Air Force Special Service Attack uh, pilot and flew 114 combat missions in the Southeast Asia conflict. While, there, while in that conflict, he earned decorations including two silver stars, six distinguished flying crosses, and 11 air medals awarded for gallantry, heroism, and meritorious achievement. Lamar is from Georgia, although now he, uh, and he also graduated from Georgia State, but now he lives in Fort Worth with his family. So we're happy to have Lamar here today. Thank you very much for coming. A pleasure to be here. Of course, at my age, it's a pleasure to be anywhere. So, um, it was a very pleasant drive down. You guys have a great reputation of what's going on at this institution. And it's a real pleasure to be uh, talking to a crowd that is interested in business and equipping yourselves to do business well, but also with an ethical angle, doing it right. Uh, what a wonderful uh, combination. Almost any interest that you have, any skill set, any desire that you have can be accommodated within the business environment. If you, want, if you like the technical disciplines, they're there. If you want inspiration of other people, leadership, it's there. If you want to challenge people in, in that way. If you want research and development, it's there. If you want to uh, even uh, be uh, associated with uh, the practice of law and how humans get along with each other and resolve conflict, it's there. So you really are uh, to be congratulated for being uh, in the right spot at the, at the right time. And it's, it's a pleasure to talk about the, uh, talk to uh, the next generation about how you organize yourself, which is really my message. Uh, how do you uh, get yourself ready to sort out all that is going to be coming at you, all in fact that is already coming at you as a student? Uh, it's, it's pretty clear to me at this stage of my life that what happens to us in our life and what demands we have made on us is a lot less important than our response. So this idea of organizing your internal voice, getting your values very clear, figuring out 
who you are and how you're going to process things uh, is uh, potentially very powerful. This generation is going to have to contend with the information explosion. My generation uh, started the information age, but we, uh, we, we have seen in the last five years the information explosion. And it's going to happen uh, even faster going forward. Today, we have uh, 14 uh, channels of communication coming at us all the time. Somebody said, you know, you're alive in 2009 when you have seven phone numbers and you don't answer any of them. So uh, that's, that's the reality of, of today. So uh, I'm here to talk to you a little bit about some of my experiences, about what has worked and what has not worked uh, in my life and uh, in the business life in particular. Um, so uh, it is a little bit of audience participation. Complete this sentence for me. Uh, life is what? Box of chocolates. We have a movie goer here. <laughs> life is a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. So it said. That's right. What else is life? Fun. That's right. Speak up. Pursuit of excellence. A poet. All right. Yes, ma'am. Whatever you make it. You read my notes? <laughs> I like it. Over here, what is life? Life can be tough. Would you agree with that? At times. And a whole lot more adjectives and nouns that we would use to describe what life can be. Um, here's, the, here's the thing. What determines what our life is for each of us, or more appropriately said? Who determines? Um, and, the, and the answer is very empowering. Uh, we get to do that, obviously. Now, this group, you're engaged in uh, higher education, preparing yourself uh, in a serious way, obviously gets that. But I just want you to take it to its full depth. You will have more options living in the time frame that you will be living for a full life and, and to accomplish things that previous generations have only been able to think about briefly, you will have more than, uh, than any generation before. So I would say uh, one of my messages is be the pilot of your life. Don't sit in the back of the airplane sitting coffee letting somebody else fly your life. It's not them. If you're using the word they, you know, if they would do this differently, if only they uh, would... Uh, perceive uh, what I'm offering, if only they had not treated me that way, if you're using they and he and she, those outplaced words, your focus is elsewhere. Think about what you can do. Call the shots. Climb up in the cockpit. Get those people out of the cockpit of your life. Climb up there and be the pilot. Um, you know, we are each very, very capable. We believe uh, we, most of us believe in a uh, higher authority that is uh, the creator who's given us time and talent and, uh, and, and a unique personality, and a unique skill set to use to bless others. Uh, we are all aware that we are uh, somewhat like icebergs. We are floating with about 15% above the surface and 85% of our capability is below the surface. The real winners among us are the ones who will access much more of what is beneath the surface, will reach deeper, will demand more, and it's an internal job. It's not for somebody else to do that for you. It's for you to figure out how you are wired and what you need to do to access more of what you're capable of. Um, 
I want to prove this to you, and many of you may have seen this. Did you know that you have the capability to read absolute gibberish? You know that? Yeah, you say, yeah, I read it in textbooks all day every day. <laughs> uh, just, just start reading. There's the 85% below. Just take, just start reading. Trust me. That's gibberish, but you can read it. So if you can read gibberish, and of course the thing is self-proving, it explains itself. You're, if you would just get out of the way and let your brain operate, it'll straighten it out. And you can read it rather fast, and it makes sense. Isn't that amazing? If you haven't seen that before. Uh, the, uh, the question that that begs is, what else are we capable of that we have not accessed? What else are we standing in the way of accomplishing? You see, you know, because you're involved in education, that during a period of training or a commitment period where you're trying to improve your performance in a particular area, your understanding and your ability to perform, that uh, your performance will go up because you're a human being and you're capable and you demand that of yourself. So the performance goes up during the period of focus. The question is, how do you sustain that? Because the typical experience, and I've seen it for many years in myself and others, the typical experience, if we're not very careful, once the period of focus or training is over, it goes just a little bit, like the shoulder up there at the top, and then we go right back to where we were. So the question is, how do we keep that from happening? How do we sustain high performance in a particular area as we move our attention to some other area that is demanding and deserving of attention. And the secret is habit. You want to form a new set of habits. At first, that's not easy. Uh, the Bible says if you want to change yourself, start emulating the behavior that you want to be like. And that starts to change you. Action is the key. And you start doing the same thing the right way. You do it first for seven days. That's hard to, to sustain. The, the, the seven to 14 days is a little easier. And if you can take all the way to 21 days, you're well on your way to establishing a new habit. So anytime that you're involved in a period of training where you're trying to establish a new way of looking at something, a new way of doing something, a new way of uh, handling some aspect of life or business or relationship, if you will be thoughtful about your calendar and put it on there for 21 days and be very diligent, chances are you will form a, uh, a new habit. This is how the high-performing individuals among us are able to establish a new plateau in one area of their life and then move on to another area of their life and do the same thing, but sustain the progress that they've made. It's a, it's, a, it's a secret that's simple to understand, hard to do, but it pays manifold dividends over and over again. I highly recommend it to you. Well, who is this guy standing before you tonight who has the honor to address you? Where does he come from? Where does he learn these things? Um, Dr. Newbert uh, talked about uh, my experience right out of college. I'll, I'll admit to you, I graduated uh, college in 69. The Vietnam War was uh, raging, and there was something called the draft in those days. It was tough in the old days, guys. And so uh, I have a cousin that came back from Vietnam with the Marines, and he said, do not go over there with a rifle. 
Whatever you have to do to avoid that, don't do it. So I was, uh, I hopped down to see my Air Force recruiter and uh, wound up going over to Southeast Asia as a pilot, as a first assignment pilot. Uh, and I flew an airplane that, I uh, picked an airplane, I graduated very high in the class and that gave me the chance to pick the airplane I wanted. I picked an airplane that as a lieutenant, a junior officer, I would have a lot to do uh, on the leading edge of, of, of the battle. Uh, I could have had uh, the jets and so forth, but I picked this airplane because I had an airplane, an instructor that had flown it. Because of the mission, it was just excellent. There was a movie, Mel Gibson made a movie called We Were Soldiers, and they had a little clip in there of this airplane uh, coming to the response of a broken arrow call, which is a tactical emergency, troops in danger of being overrun. Uh, in my day, it was called uh, prairie fire. That was the terminology they used. And uh, so I've got this little movie clip just to illustrate something that I'll, uh, that I'll uh, color up for you a little bit. This is what the little airplane looked like. That's the F-100. Notice how low it is. That's realistic. Seven three eight. It was a Medal of Honor bird flown by Colonel Jones earlier in the war. 
war, and he won the Medal of Honor in Meadowsburg. Um, Cap, uh, back to Captain Slagle, uh, married to a lady named Barbara, 24 years old, uh, uh, daughter, uh, Tracy, who was two years old at the time, uh, and we're just off of uh, Veterans Day, obviously, here in, uh, in America, where we honor uh, the fact that uh, some step forward and protect our freedoms, and we're willing to do that. And uh, one of the things you get to do as you travel around the country speaking is that people take note of your uh, visit and uh, roll the clock forward uh, a few years and uh, this uh, young lady, 24 years old at the time, mother of Tracy, uh, had, um, had to make a life for herself as a, as, a, as a new widow and she's done that and she's done it very well. You see, uh, Captain Slagle died that day and that's a big price to pay, but the families of the military people are the ones that really have to go through the grief and, and pick up the pieces and to make do, and they never forget. And um, one of the uh, one of the honors that you have as you travel around is that you get to meet some of these people. And uh, living in Austin, Texas, uh, known as Barbara Barker now, Barbara Barker has driven up and she sits right here. Would you please stand and be recognized, Barbara? made it out, we would have gotten We picked up the rest of them with two Jolly Green Giant helicopters, and this was a picture we took the next morning at Benoit. Uh, war is tough, but uh, it teaches you a lot. One benefit of an incoming bullet, when you're being shot at with live ammunition, your priorities are very clear. And in, that's intended to be a light comment. Uh, but in our lives, it is not easy always to set the right priorities and to know what we ought to be looking at. We all have so many different things tugging on our sleeve. Do I work on this paper? Do I work on this case? Do I get with my friends and go for coffee? Do I uh, check in with my parents? All of these competing priorities. Uh, and what I'm really uh, here to try to talk to you about are processes of setting those priorities. Okay, so. Southeast Asia over, back to the training command, was an instructor in the T-38, and I had to start analyzing processes that I was using to teach the individual steps in the procedures, and I became very analytical. Now you look at this, you do that, and I realized that this was a skill set that would be useful in other parts of my life, and later when I left the Air Force and went into business, I particularly was analyzing human processes, how do people make decisions, how do people set their values? How do people decide what to do with their money? Because I was operating in the financial services field. How do salesmen uh, figure out uh, whether to work hard or not? How does that work out? How do you deal with family priorities and all of the other possibilities of how you spend your time? These processes became very important. I recommend that you become very analytical about processes and step by step. Uh, things that, that drive. And go to school in the lab of your own heart. The way you do it is probably typical. And even if there are variances from that, it's a great starting place. How do you do it? What, what do you look at first? What, uh, how do you view uh, the things that are important in your life? So after the Air Force, after seven years, uh, I joined First Command. Uh, seven years later, four moves, five promotions. I was president of the company, uh, so these processes did work a little bit. The next year, my daughter was born. I had become married, and my daughter was born. 
and I really started changing my own priorities. Uh, I spent 30 years in the, uh, in, the, in the business profession, 15 years I was in the corner office as CEO and chairman. We grew the company fourfold during that period, had a lot of fun doing it, touched a lot of lives. At age 62 years ago, I left the corner office and I wrote a little book, There's More to Life in the Corner Office. It's a life lessons book with a message of balance. I did not want and do not want to die with my music in me. Life is too short for us to all step in the potholes ourselves, so we have to point them out to each other. So if I can do anything to accelerate and encourage people to uh, live in the times that we are living in now and the times that are coming with all of the messages and demands coming at us, if I can help people figure out processes that have been useful to me and pass those along, then I want to do that. So I wrote this little book. It's a simple read. It takes about three hours, 135 pages, and it's a parable. It's a story, and the story seems to draw you along. It, it was intended to, uh, and it's a mentoring story. Young man, 28 years old, sold out to his career. He's an investment banker with one of Boston's boutique investment banking firms, uh, and his career is doing well, but it's at the expense. His marriage is coming apart. He's not taking care of himself physically. His personal finances are a mess, and, uh, but, but his, his career is doing well. He doesn't respect those that aren't willing to pay the price for success. He meets an older fellow, 60-something, uh, on an airplane ride from San Francisco back to Boston. That's where the story opens. He discounts the old guy. He says, this guy, he, he doesn't realize who the old guy is. And he, the old guy just asked him a few weird questions. Like he, he revealed that he was an investment banker. He said, why did you choose that deal? He said, I want to do the deals and make the money. That's why we all do what we do. And the, uh, the old guy says, mm, not really. And well, that's the way the score gets kept. Our young hero did not understand. He had not thought it through. And he thought the old guy was weird. He said, he doesn't live in my world. He just doesn't get it. So um, as it turns out, the old guy was CEO of one of Boston's biggest investment management firms and was way ahead of the young guy. He enticed him into a mentoring relationship and using the Socratic method of simply asking questions, he caused the young guy to start examining what he really stood for. Um, there's a little uh, uh, business intrigue in there that's real world that I've drawn on some actual experiences. Uh, there's a little love story in there, uh, the relationship piece. Uh, that uh, seems to touch some, some folks, and um, it winds up being very encouraging. The book's getting good reviews, seems to have a, be a small book with big ideas, and uh, I encourage you, we are all in a position to benefit from mentoring and to offer benefit by mentoring. There are younger people that you can touch in your life, and they don't have to be younger, but they just be in a different place, but your life experiences are already valuable to others. Figure out who those people are and reach out to them in a formal or an informal way. Informal sometimes is better. Figure out what skill sets you want to develop and who in your life or who you can get to in your life knows how to do that and approach them. Uh, one way to do that is to get this book and read it and then pass it to whoever you want to reach out to and ask them to read it. Now you've got common uh, sets and you get together and talk about the ideas in the book and start the process that way. Very significant. And speaking of significance, as human beings of all ages, men and women, young and old, we are alike in many ways. One of the things that we want in life is to live a life of significance. And that comes from deciding what our purpose is. We are uniquely wired for something really big. 
if we figure out what that is and we commit ourselves to the process of achieving that and we start making progress, that progress feeds on itself. And that leads to joy. Joy is similar to happiness. Happiness is a temporary feeling. Uh, joy is a deeper feeling uh, of, of uh, satisfaction that has a real mental component to it because you know you're in the right place. I've noticed for a lot of years that highly successful people get out of, early, get out of bed early in the morning. And you say, aha, if I get out of bed early in the morning, uh, I might be successful. Well, that may be a cause, but it may just be an effect. I think it's just an effect. I, whether they're, you know, it's, it's, it's been said in the Air Force that it's hard to soar with the eagles in the morning if you hoot with the owls all night. Now, you're young, you can do some of both, but, uh, but uh, <clears throat> as you get older, you're going to find that uh, uh, as you face hard work every day, that sleep really does uh, turn out to be restorative. But if you, uh, even if you're a night owl and you stay up late, if you're doing in your life's work what is really exciting, the first moment that you stir in the morning, your, your mind lights up and you can't wait to get at the day. And so you get up early in the morning. And I think that the, the success quotient is that these people have found what turns them on. If you find yourself in the position, I overheard a conversation a year or two ago, there was a fellow that, uh, he was a letter carrier. He said, just four more years and then I can retire. One of the saddest statements I've ever heard. He's not gonna like it very much, I can tell him because he thinks he's going to have it made, but that front porch is going to be old by about the middle of the fourth day. What he's really thinking is, uh, I don't really enjoy what I'm doing. It's homegrown distress in my life, and I'm really looking forward to having that part change. Uh, but you know what, folks? We are all progressive. That which satisfies us today will not satisfy us very long. You weren't wired by your maker to be satisfied where you are very long. I believe that that actually is a design that's in every human being that God put there. I think of it as the curve in the boomerang that's intended to bring us back to him. We'll keep striving for satisfaction until we connect with our maker uh, in, a, in a real and significant way. But in any event, you won't long be happy where you are. It's a trick question. When will you have it made? And the answer is, you won't. I've had money and I've not had money. Having money is better, but if you're going to satisfy yourself through uh, having money, career success, fame, fortune, uh, power, if that's what you're going to do, that's the way the world says to do it, uh, there will never be enough. I've spent a lot of time climbing up various ladders of success, hard work, get up and just look over and there's nothing on the other side of the wall. If the world, the world says that you can find satisfaction with money and power and influence and beauty and anesthetic um, and, and, and uh, being well-known, well, where in our society is that, are those uh, traits most concentrated in one small place? Hollywood. Hollywood. And yet, if you can believe half of what you read, and I think that's about the right amount, by the way, half of what you read, if you can believe half of what you read, you, you would have to look far and wide to find a crowd that's more miserable than the Hollywood crowd. So there has to be a better answer. There has to be a better answer. Significance, purpose, joy, and connection are what you're looking for.
in a very significant way, but it has to be real and it has to be unique for you. This is an inside job. It's worth thinking about. It's worth uh, spending some time really dwelling and, and uh, getting on top of it. And if you find yourself in your career path in a situation where you really are not enjoying what you're doing at all, and there's, there doesn't appear to be any change coming, do something about it. Move within the firm or, 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 or make a change. Life is too short to spend time just uh, pushing pegs uh, in, in the holes. Get where you are meant to be so that you can find significance, purpose, joy, and connection. All things that are important require a plan. Uh, let's, let's talk about, just very briefly, the real benefits of, of uh, planning. Um, if you uh, establish a plan, one of the first things you're going to do is, this, okay, what are we trying to do with this plan? You get real clear on the objective. This is particularly important in a team context. What are we trying to do very specifically and make sure everybody understands exactly what the, what the objective is? That step alone You'd be surprised in the real business world, even at high levels, how there is a diversity of opinion as to what we're trying to accomplish. A model I've used for years, by the way, is uh, I've got two employees that are supposed to be working together and there's conflict. I call them in and I ask them, tell me about it, and they describe the conflict. And I get them talking, I try to create an environment where they can really talk honestly. And I get one of them to say, what are you trying to accomplish here? And describe it very specifically. We write it down. And ask the other one to do the same. And they describe it. And if we find that, they are, that, that the goals are not the same, the objective is not the same, then the conflict is obvious. You have two choices. You either bring them together and get them to agree on a common goal so they can work together, or you reformat somehow so that they can work toward their objectives if they're worthy objectives. But you don't leave them together working toward different objectives. Conflict will ensue every time. If you are able to get them together, or if they come in and they describe exactly what they're trying to accomplish, and it's the same, or you get them there, any conflict that remains after that is simply a communication problem. You need to pay attention to making sure that the communication techniques are good. I've used that for years. Establishing a clear objective is a benefit of planning. Then you uh, can establish what the resources are, including physical resources and know-how and skill sets, uh, monetary resources. You can start to divide a complicated process into steps so that you know where you are. You can establish a timeline. It's not a plan without a timeline. It's a dream. You've got to have a timeline on things. And the benefit of all of this is that you can get, in your mind, a clear path to the objective. The two main benefits of planning are the first one and the last one. What's the benefit of the clear path? Let me tell you something about life. I got it from aviation. Uh, you, can, uh, you can also get it from uh, diet and weight loss. Is it easier to lose one or two pounds or 50 pounds? One or two every time. If you know where you want to be, if you've got a clear path and you know what the objective is, then you have a position uh, in your mind that you can detect a deviation from desired performance very quickly, the moment it occurs. And you can make a small correction early, and you never move very far out of position. The best pilots in aviation are not the ones that can make a 
huge heroic correction from out of position. It's the ones that detect deviation the moment it occurs. You cannot detect deviation the moment it occurs unless you've got clarity on what you're trying to accomplish and the path you're using to get there. Very, very powerful idea that I've seen uh, uh, pay off over and over again. Let's talk about the resources that are available to you in business and in your life. One of the quotes that I really love is that um, the best way to end your eternity is to waste your potential, waste your experience, waste your time. Time, uh, Benjamin Franklin said in his Poor Richard Almanac series, is the stuff life is made of. Your life is time. Time is a dimension, I think, generated by God for now. And in eternity, uh, it, it's not that time goes on forever. It's that time gets suspended. God said that his name is I am, not I was, I am, and I'm going to be. It's I am. I simply exist. And that's what we're uh, looking forward to in eternity, in, in my opinion. But for now, we have to be guarded about time, in, in my opinion. These are some observations about time. I ran across this a long time ago. Uh, and most of you have enough life experience now to, uh, to, to relate to it. Here's the idea. The past meets the future at a control point called the present moment. The present moment is right here, right now. It's where we are. It's the only place we can be, except mentally. The problem and the temptation for all of us is that we spend so much time thinking about the past or the future that we miss the present moment. We miss the power of the present moment. And therefore, we diminish the fulfillment of our lives in the process. What do we think about? Well, we think about the past with regrets that we have or think regrets of things that we did that we wish we hadn't done or things that other people did where we were wrong. And uh, one of my favorite ways to waste time is to think about how I'm going to get even and a little bit more when I've been wrong. It's an absolute waste of time, actually. Um, now, it's appropriate to review our past, to learn from it. But once we've done that and extracted those lessons, spending time on it is not useful. The other alternative is to think about the future. We worry about it. You know, somebody said the future is not what it used to be. And we all understand that with the economic woes and the challenges we have in this nation and in the world these days. And you as business students particularly are uh, more in a position to be more sensitive to that. But worry is not going to do us any good. Planning is, is a good idea. Spending some time thinking about the future with some planning and pre preparation is good. But just sitting and worrying without action and without a solution and just stirring it uh, is, is not useful. Daydreaming is another way to wait. Boy, what would it be like to win the lottery? People that spend a lot of time thinking about that are daydreaming if they spend a lot of time thinking about that, but they've never bought a ticket. See how that works? The problem that we have is that we are here now, and we need to spend our time thinking about how to use our time in the most productive way right where we are. So the question is, you are just like the uh, map at the airport or the mall, you are here. But the question we ask ourselves, you know, in fact, are we here and how often? And none of us do these things perfectly. I'm talking about trend lines, and I'm trying to uh, give you a couple of suggestions as to uh, how you think about 
uh, improving your own uh, power. The other idea that relates to time is a factor of maturity. What is maturity? Maturity is the ability to see short-term choices in a longer-term context. An immature person, and we're all immature, my weakness, one of them, is Mexican food. I love Mexican food. I love every aspect of it, but I particularly like the chips and the hot sauce. And it is very tempting to me. And the, the, the issue here, obviously, is that, you know, I've got these nice clothes, and I don't want to have to buy a whole new wardrobe, and I need to watch my weight. I need to watch it a little more carefully, as a matter of fact. But I love Mexican food, so I think about, okay, let's, let's go out to eat. So we go out to eat, and where are we going to go? We're going to go there. And I think about the moment of enjoyment, and my mind stops there. Mmm, that's going to feel good. I don't think about feeling bad later that I overate the, too much of the wrong things. I don't um, think about the fact that tomorrow I'm going to think more poorly of myself with respect to, to my lack of respect for my self-discipline. I don't think about having to pay the price of having to cut back for the next two or three days after that. And one of the techniques in the book uh, is to roll the video. We all have a video, a movie, a tape in our mind that we can roll. Uh, and we can don't, don't let the moment of gratification be the only thing you focus on. Now, I can enjoy some Mexican food, but I need to think about it in the context of cutting it to once a week. That's the kind of benefit that you can have if you take a more mature attitude. Right now, you're focused on, uh, on short-term uh, academic goals, appropriately so. But you also need to be thinking about maintaining balance and not giving up your health in the process. You need to be doing some exercising and some uh, other work and other aspects of your life as well. That's the mature thing to do. It's an issue for all of us. And maturity is not really a matter of how many birthdays you have have had, it's more of a matter of how you look at the time continuum, and you make your choices uh, thoughtfully as to how to make that work. But my main message to you is to uh, lead a life of balance. It's going to be more challenging for you than it has been for my generation, and my generation is not doing it well at all. I think that to take a complicated subject like the human experience and start to pull it apart, it's like a, uh, it's like a tangled web of, of, uh, of, of rope. If you start pulling it apart, you can start making sense of it and you can see how to get it into a useful form. So what, the, the way I've taken this apart and looked at it is to take the uh, human experience, my human experience, and divide it into the physical, the financial, the spiritual, intellectual, and emotional. Uh, each of these is uh, very important and have common traits. Uh, if you put it on a pie chart and look at it as a wheel, it starts to make more sense why it needs to be balanced. Um, the uh, individual parts, the good news is, each is driven by principles and parts that are not hard to understand. They're hard to do for many of us, but they're not hard to understand. By the way, this information is available on my website. The website is mentioned in the back of the book. It's also on that little bookmark. So if you need to get a bookmark tonight, uh, and, uh, you're, uh, and, and I'll also flash it up on the screen at the end, but this very slide is, is, uh, is on that uh, website. Um, for instance, uh, in the physical area, if you're going to maintain your physical well-being, you need to watch your weight, 
You need to stretch, even at your age, particularly if you get older. Stretch is stretching is uh, very good from any angle. You need to watch your sleep pattern. Sleep is restorative. And it's been proven. We are a nation of sleep-deprived people. It's been proven that our performance really goes up when we pay attention. And it's driven by simple principles. Um, and you need to monitor your health. You need to pay attention to the self-exam techniques. And if you get a little spot on your skin that's suspicious, go get it checked out. There's no human malady that doesn't benefit from early detection. Those are the simple concepts and principles that we all understand to maintain our physical health. In the emotional area, we need to look out for our self-image. What do we really think about ourselves? What do we really wish were different? What are our true strengths? Uh, and are we making progress? If we're making progress, we feel better about ourselves. If we're stuck, we don't. So that will really help your self-image to identify the things. You know, do you get to places on time? Getting to places on time is a basic respect of other people. If you have parental trouble getting places on time, you need to look at how you see yourself in the social context. You're the most important person, apparently. And does, does that, you know, are you really harboring some arrogance? This is the kind of analysis that is very useful in, by this kind of process. Um, we all have a desire for a few real relationships where we're connected with other people. It's hard to maintain your emotional well-being if, if you're always behind the eight ball because you've not mastered time management. Time management is really setting priorities. Everybody has 24 hours a day until they have none. It's the great equalizer. And how you choose to use it and the process that you use and the fact that you spend some time setting priorities, making sure that the important stuff gets done, and delegating or just forgetting the lesser important is uh, productive. And we all need some peace and some joy. And that means different things to different people, but you need to have confidence in who you are and that you are using your skill sets and your uh, gifts from God uh, very well. These are the kinds of processes that you can fuel. And you say, well, gee, why don't you publish a workbook and show us how to do this and so on? No. This is an individual journey. I can't tell you how to live your life. I wouldn't propose to, and I wouldn't want you telling me how to live mine. But these are processes. A word to the wise is, is uh, sufficient. And a spiraling notebook with some notes like this in it where you start to personalize can really yield great benefits. Each of these is very powerful for the positive or the negative. If you are making real progress in any one of these areas, it will fuel good feelings and will fuel progress in all of the areas, some progress in all of the areas. If you're suffering in any one of these areas, it has the potential of dragging down the hole. And if you ignore one of these completely, you might wind up being a governor of one of our northern states that got to be there as attorney general by being a law enforcement um, uh, expert and, uh, and a voice for law enforcement who then becomes governor and is called with an escort breaking the law blatantly and has to resign in disgrace. That's a sign of complete lack of balance. NFL quarterback who thinks the rules don't apply to him, and he gets involved in illegal dogfighting and goes to jail and loses his uh, endorsements in his career, and he's fighting back, and I'm pulling for him to fight back because we have all made mistakes, and we, we all need to forget if, if his redemption is, is real, if he really has accepted that he made a mistake and he wants it to be different, then I'm on his side. Uh, those are profound examples that show up in the newspaper. 
but uh, there's a cost to any of us of leading less than a, uh, a balanced life. Well, what do we do about it? Well, look at it this way. Let's put the um, let's put the pie chart back up and let's put a scale of one to ten and let's score ourselves. Let's just do a little notional example. Uh, our young uh, heroine goes through the process here and scores herself a two on the physical, an eight on the intellectual, thinking about what the components are of well-being in her life for each of these. Four on the emotional, three on the financial, and six on the spiritual. There's work to do in any one of these areas, and there's, but there's payoff. It could be uh, tempting to say, well, two is the lowest one. I've got to work on that right away. Well, maybe not. It's an individual choice. It may be that uh, while I'm in pretty good shape on the spiritual, there's an annoying question that I really want to get at first. So that may be what we focus on first. The trick is you can make progress in all of them, but for real concentrated effort, uh, I'd recommend no more than one or two at a time. In our particular notional example here, the uh, individual uh, sets it up. Well, let's see here. Let's, let's get back here. Uh, they set it up. Uh, to uh, make some progress in the physical area and the financial area are going to be the two areas that they're going to really work on. And they set some very specific goals for two years hence in this example. Weight, exercise, and endurance metric, and some other goal. Uh, they've got a problem with their skin that they need to go get the doctor to take a look at, and they're going to get that done. In the financial area, they're going to get their debt uh, reduced. They're going to start uh, working on saving, and they're going to form a regular investment habit. These are just some examples of some things that you can do. So they set that for two years hence, and they then said, if that's really going to happen, what will it look like one year from now? What will, if that's going to happen, what will it look like six months from now, three months from now, one month from now? And then here's the action step. If I'm really going to get started on this life change in these areas and want to make progress for the next seven days, I'm going to do this differently. And when we get to the end of that, the next seven days, and the next seven days, 21 days of doing something differently, and you're well on your way to a new habit. That's a very powerful concept. I ran across it, and when I do this, it works. When I don't, it doesn't. I hate that part. So that leads us when to see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth. Hang on. There we are. That leads us then, business students, primarily, to the notion of uh, success in business. You're living in an era when many assumptions that have been accepted by past generations in the business world are being questioned. There's a big public debate these days uh, on some parts about capitalism and has it run its course, has its greed uh, rampants to the, to the point of, uh, of misleading people. Is that why we're in the shape we're in? The answer in part is yes. And the kind of work you're doing in this forum here at Baylor tonight uh, and with the ethics focus, values, how does it work, that's very useful and it has the uh, opportunity to really make a difference. I am a capitalist. I don't believe that there's any better way. I don't think that the world prominent position that the United States of America enjoys today was brought to us by big government. I don't believe that um, uh, that's the way of the future either. And on the other hand, I believe that business leaders everywhere need to step forward and shoulder the responsibility to do the right thing more often and to live more responsibly within their profession. 
But before we uh, give up on capitalism altogether, let's go back to, the, you know, what are the alternatives? And I ran across this little clip, one of the great voices of uh, capitalism from uh, generation past, Milton Friedman, uh, uh, was interviewed by uh, a TV host, uh, some of you have heard of, Phil Donahue, and it was, it's a two and a half minute clip that's pretty instructive. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, uh, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you, when you see the greed and the concentration of power with it, don't, aren't you ever, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism? And whether greed's a good idea to run on. Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> this, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from, a, from a, a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history are where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worse, worse off, worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear. That there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise. So it seems to reward not virtue as much as ability to manipulate the system. <coughs> and what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You think a Hitler rewards virtue? You think, excuse me, if you'll pardon me, do you think American presidents reward virtue? Do they choose their appointees on the basis of the virtue of the people appointed or on the basis of their political clout? Is it really true that political self-interest is nobler somehow than economic self-interest? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And just tell me, where in the world do you find these angels who are going to organize society for us? Well, I don't even trust you to do that. Thought-provoking. You are going to uh, head into uh, the uh, notion of capitalism, and you're going to be able to practice it at a much higher art form, professional form, than uh, some in the past generations. And uh, it is imperative that we do a good job, and, and that the business community pulls together and polices itself. It is absolutely imperative. If we do that, we can have a very bright future as a nation. If we don't do that, I'm not sure where we'll leave. Uh, it is an interesting time. We each can do what we can do. You know, we each have a, uh, a ministry. You are going to uh, speak for something with your actions and what you stand for. Uh, the, uh, the reality is unavoidable uh, in that regard. Uh, the most compelling lessons are not the ones we use words to teach, but it's what we really believe and what we stand for. And that's why I'm encouraging this process 
of developing your personal value system, getting in touch with what you really stand for, aligning your daily activities with what really buzzes your motor so that you can stay persistent in the face of discouragement because, it, the, because the goal means so much to you. It's very important that you, that you do that. And if you do that, others will be influenced and then they will influence others and so on and we can regain the ground that has been lost uh, by recent experiences. Uh, this idea of the pyramid, by the way, is not just uh, the uh, multi-marketing level, multi, uh, level marketing schemes. Uh, it actually is biblical. Uh, I know that many of you know this. Uh, the Apostle Paul, speaking to his student, uh, Timothy, uh, actually uh, said to, to do it this way. Uh, the things that you heard me do in the presence of witnesses, these many witnesses, and trust the reliable men. So pass it on, and they will pass it on, and so forth. And we can make a difference, each one of us, and particularly if we if we lock arms. I encourage you to uh, to do all of that and more. Where can you learn more? Where can you uh, find some thought-provoking information on this? Uh, try this website. It leads to a blog, it leads to a social community, and uh, don't forget to uh, consider the book. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice little uh, keepsake for your, uh, uh, for your uh, shelf. And uh, in summary, I would tell you that to sustain ethical business behavior, which the key is not just to establish it, but to sustain it. Establish balance. A lack of balance in your life. If you get behind the ball financially, you are vulnerable to making more uh, weaker choices because you, you don't have options financially to do something about a problem that you've uh, come up against. If you are out of kilter, if you physically don't feel strong, then you, your, your personal confidence suffers and you can't deal with challenges nearly as well. If you are emotionally distracted by problems, a lack of confidence, poor self-image, relationship difficulties, uh, it, it shows up, and you're just less able to apply good judgment and, and thoughtful strength in your life. So maintaining balance is very important uh, for your uh, ethical business behavior. Select the principles that will drive your life and your career very carefully. Some simple ones that I came across, I decided to quit doing business with snakes. Now that may sound uh, strange. But uh, you're going to run into opportunities to enter a relationship with somebody that turns, turns out not to be trustworthy. How can you identify them in advance? Well, we all see the world through our own lenses. When you're negotiating with someone and they are taking you through the screen wire, they, are just, they don't trust anything you say. They are wanting to write everything down. They're looking to get every advantage. That's the way they see the world. They think everybody's that way. They're a snake. If you're dealing with well-placed, honest uh, people that, uh, that are trying to do a good job and have a beneficial relationship where you can both win, and that's what a good relationship is about, then uh, you need to write down enough in the deal so that there's no real misunderstanding. But the issues that arise, you're going to, and they will arise, you're going to be able to work out in good faith because you're both good people. If you're dealing with a snake, you can't write enough down to protect yourself. Just when you realize you're dealing with a snake, just quit dealing and move on. And go find somebody that's honest and ethical. That's a principle that can guide you. It's one decision instead of many. 
you make the decision one time by selecting the principal. I have trouble with uh, Mexican food. A principal is, I'm just going to do it once a week. That's a principal that just got me. And I don't have to make that decision Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. It's just a principal. So select your principles carefully, and then you are in a position to make a small correction early if you start to deviate. The same with planning. We talked about that. Set the objective, go through the steps, and then get a clear path. The moment you deviate, you can detect that. Uh, very, very useful. Very useful in the business context. You're going to not enter the business uh, world probably, I, I hate to break this to you, you're not going to be CEO the first week. You're going to be staff. You're going to be working for people that have their own foibles. They're going to have their own way of doing things. You're going to run into some wonderful people that set a very high example, and you're going to want to get to know them and emulate what they are doing and the way they look at things. You're going to want to learn more, and those are the ones you want to mentor you. Um, but you're going to run into some marginal situations where you're going to be uh, asked to participate as a team member in something that doesn't smell just exactly right. If you've got clarity on your principles and your values, you can detect that earlier. And if you detect it earlier, you're in a better position to influence it and respond to it. Well, how, I'm just a staff member. I'm the user. I'm the new guy. How can I, how can I influence this? A real big tip, guys. Here it is. Be thoughtful in the questions you ask. Don't make statements. Ask questions. Reflect your values in the question. Reflect what you think is right or wrong. You know, you may be wrong. There may be something, you just got there, you're new. There may be something you haven't considered. If you ask questions, you're given the information and you don't look like a doofus and you don't look pious. But if you uh, really sense that there's something wrong here and you ask the right questions, others start to sense this really is kind of marginal. We're stepping off the path. And keep in mind, that unethical behavior, honest people that are running a good business don't wake up one morning and say, okay, let's find out how we can really stick it to our customers. Let's, let's stiff this contract. Let's go, let's turn our back on our good reputation. That, that's not the way it happens. The way it happens is just a little 2%, just a little two degree deviation from the right path. It's incremental. And then two, you operate that way a little ways and, and then two, more and, two, and pretty soon you're going in the wrong direction. That's the way the Enrons and the WorldComs happen, incrementally. If you find yourself on a team discussing and hearing conversations about, well, you know, if you get down on your side and you squint one eye and you think about it in this way, then it probably is, and you look at the way the reg is written, and, it, it, you know, and we get this interpretation. If you find that kind of justification going on, and you're uh, privy to it or asked to participate in it, if you've got the principle of, 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 of looking at the fundamentals and really thinking deeply and asking the right questions, then you're going to be in a lot better position to influence the situation and keep it on track. But don't go there. Decide now. In pilot training, we were getting ready to go into the airplane with the first ejection seat. And we're in classrooms. They describe the parameters of the ejection seat, what altitude and airspeed could you survive ejection, what's the lowest that you can. So then the instructor says, okay, so here's the question, when do you decide to bail out? 
And he asked Bob Schmidt. Bob Schmidt said, uh, well, before you get to that primary, he said, wrong answer, you're dead. When do you, you know, Smith, what do you do? I said, well, uh, before that, you know, that plus 10%. He said, wrong answer, you're dead. Um, and what he was getting at is the time to decide to bail out of an airplane that's going down is the moment you realize the, the predetermined conditions have been met. Once you, it's just a matter of recognition. You've already made the decision in the, in the cool light of day months earlier or years earlier. If I ever am in a position where I recognize it's time to bail out, you, it's, just, it's just time to do it. You don't, you don't then debate whether to do it or not. Decide now what principles will guide you and it'll make decision making a lot easier. If you find yourself being asked to do something that clearly is outside your personal value system and you can't address it by asking questions and causing that situation to go away, don't just ride along. The price is too great. And I know that may be a little bit of statement of the obvious, but I just want to encourage you to, to be strong in that regard. And if you're living with balance, you're in pretty good shape financially, you're strong, you're thinking, you know who you are, and you know where you, your position is in eternity, you're in a better position to do that. So live with balance. So that's what we can do. And if we do this together, we can reclaim what the United States of America business community has done for past generations, and we can do it better than ever before. And, it, and, and I am excited about what I see as I travel around talking to business professionals who are willing to learn the lessons of the uh, mistakes of the past and who are looking for the better way. And the, uh, one of the real encouragements in my life is the uh, emphasis on ethics. And you are really involved in something productive here. And I think now, Mitch, we are going to take some questions. I think Short-term 
uh, stock purchasing and equity investing has not worked for me. Short term is anything less than five years. The studies, uh, Abbott's and Ibbotson uh, in Chicago has done a number of studies that are very useful, and, and I'm interested to see uh, how perhaps the current climate is going to influence this data. But uh, if you take every five-year period for the last hundred years and measure whether fixed or equity has done better uh, over that five-year period, uh, equity beats fixed 96% of the time. Uh, so I tend to believe in stocks, basically. Uh, I think that's where the action is and, and you're better off. On the other hand, they fluctuate. So anything that you know you're going to need, you're going to need the cash for it. You know, you're getting ready to send your kid to college at age 18 and uh, he's 16. Well, you don't put that uh, money in the stock market for a two-year time horizon because, uh, because it fluctuates. But if you're dealing with five years or greater, uh, that works very well. John Templeton uh, was a, a very successful money manager for a very long time. He thought if you were less than 20 years, you were speculator. Uh, the point being that uh, uh, you do have to look at the data and let the data uh, drive your thinking. But then the choices about that are made in the here and the now. So uh, that's how those two come together. I was asked once uh, not long ago, what was the main thing that you missed after you were no longer CEO? Uh, would you be interested in that? My jokes weren't nearly as funny. So, <laughs> another question. One more back there. Yes, here we go. Hi, my name is Alvin. Um, Hi, Alvin. I read like the dialogue, some of the dialogues of Plato, and you mentioned, and also Ben Franklin used to use the Socratic method, and you mentioned it in your beginning of your story. And my question is, is like usually because of like um, fear of seeming naive or ignorant, I don't ask too many questions. And you being somebody who's been in a position of, of power as a CEO and a parent, like where are some, some good examples when you do use it, or if you guys give me an example? I'll try. Um, First of all, uh, there is no bad question, and, and I do understand being a little bit reticent at first. But uh, if, if it's a if there's a subject being discussed and you've got a question about it, ask it, uh, and, and just give it a try, and you'll learn that 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 goes pretty well. But you will also learn as you get a little bit more experience uh, that a little bit of reading can go a very long way. One of the tricks I had as CEO was that I read the Wall Street Journal pretty much cover to cover every day. And I got just a little bit of taste about the glossary in the various disciplines and some of the initiatives and some of the things that were going on. And we would be in a business meeting uh, with my senior staff and the chief financial officer would talk about this and that and the other that was part of this deal and we would make decisions and we would uh, shape that. And uh, then I'd say, by the way, Bill, uh, you know, uh, is, is this proposal on FASB 115 going to have to change the way we're doing uh, uh, depreciation schedules? You know, have we looked at that? Have we looked at this? Uh, I would ask the IT guy about the new RAID technology and whether it had any applicability in our particular situation since we were working in a server environment. A CEO, I was a mile wide and I was a quarter inch deep. But they never knew where. <laughs> I had a few. I had a few additional spots. I, I learned enough 
to say, I, mainly I was wanting to make sure that they were on their toes and doing their uh, work. Now that's, that's from that perspective. When you're participating in the process, a professional prepares for meetings, just like you prepare for your classes. Uh, the best way to prepare for your meetings in a business context is to predetermine the questions that you might want to ask. Think about the subjects that you're going to be talking about and think about it from your boss's point of view or your boss's boss's point of view and let that guide your questions. And write as many questions ahead of time as you can and then sit there and listen to the conversation and you're probably going to only use 5 or 10% of the questions you've identified, but they'll be the right ones. And you will learn a lot more having thought about it from that perspective. The quality of your career and the quality of your life largely will be determined by the questions you ask yourself and others. Very powerful idea. Thank, Thank you very much. Uh, on behalf of Dale P. Jones, Business Ethics Forum, I want to pre present this small gift of our uh, appreciation. Thank you. Thank you.